What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Hello. Welcome to another Wisco Fanatics Wednesday. We want to, before we start, we want to give a quick shout out and thank you to our official sponsor, Parker Johns. Yeah, you can see we got some... uh, some Wisco Fanatics t-shirts on today. We got Parker Johns on the sleeve logo there, um, which is a reminder. Today will be the last day for sharing Wisco Fanatics um, posts for winning a $25 gift card. That's going to be every month. So make sure you're sharing the Wisco Fanatics posts and you will get entered in a chance to win a $25 gift card from Parker Johns. Um, got a lot to talk about today. Uh, we're going to start with the Packers, and we're going to talk about the Brewers, and we're going to close out the show by closing out the Bucks regular season or the Bucks um, postseason, and we're going to finish it off by talking about games five and six, and then some of the after stuff about the Bucks. But uh, we're going to start with the Packers. So uh, Jake and I went to Packers practice this morning, uh, made a bunch of observations. If you've looked at the page, you'll see all the uh, the pictures that we posted from there, and um, I think Jake has some more that we're going to. Um, put up on there so you can see some of the pictures from the Packers practice but um, Jake I want to get I'll let you get started and uh, let's talk about the some observations we had from the Packers practice this morning uh, first of all uh, when we got there the, it was it was hot first of all anybody that went there was, was a little sticky uh, my stepson certainly thought so uh, where we were sitting it was right in front of the DB so we got to watch Jair and Amos and Amos is a massive dude. And I looked at Tyler and I was like, you wonder why wide receivers don't like to be left dry over the middle. <laughs> Just getting laid out by that guy. Adrian uh, Amos could be like the junior quad father. Yeah. He's, he's put together, man. Uh, Jair, you know, swaggy is all. And, you know, Adrian Amos comes out all white out, you know, shoes, legs, gloves. He looks like a thug. And uh, they were doing a little drill today that I, me and Tyler really enjoyed. And it was a little jump ball drill, and they had Jair going against the rookie Eric Stokes. You know, we're obviously all excited to see Eric Stokes. And uh, it was a little rebounding drill. They just throw the ball in the air, kind of like a you know tip-off to start a basketball game. And Stokes actually won both of them, you know, against Jair. Jair's not a big guy, but, you know, to 
see the guy that you're going to have to, you know, learn a lot from and, you know, he's going to be the one teaching you and you just go head up at him and go right at him. That's something that I really, really like, you know, Stokes to have that mindset. Uh, another thing, when they started the 11 on 11s, I made sure to watch Stokes a lot and he was covering MVS, who's obviously, you know, our fastest or one of our fastest players. And he ran a, a route all the way across the field and Stokes was with him right on his hip the entire time. While you're on that subject, before I let you keep going, um, as you're talking about that play, that play happened with Eric to- Eric Stokes taking first team reps. Yes, that was something that we noticed as well right away. Uh, Kevin King was a no show. Not sure what his what yeah. His thing Kevin King wasn't there today. I don't know if he's hurt, yeah. if he's getting traded, if he's not there, if he's holding out. I don't know what the deal is with Kevin King. Um, yeah, maybe he'll be there tomorrow. There, you know, yeah. so. We didn't even see him there. He like physically was not there. I mean, um, even Zedarius was there, and he you you mentioned this morning when we were there that he's on the pup list. I mean, Dominic Daphne was there, and he wasn't you know he wasn't suited up. Deguara was there. Yep, he was doing sprints and stuff. So he's getting yeah. ready to be back, probably. I would think, um, ready for the regular season. So, um, yeah, everybody was there except for Kevin King was the only guy we didn't see. Actually, I didn't. No, I think I didn't see Bakhtiari. Did you see Bakhtiari walking around? Mm. I didn't know that I think him. about it. No, I don't think so. Maybe they were working outside or something like that. I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, that was, those are the only two that I didn't see. Um, yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of things that I liked today. We saw Amari Rogers taking punt return, you know, coverage. He was the guy, he was the only guy down there. Uh, yep. maybe I could go to the biggest news uh, outside of Aaron Rodgers coming back. And what do you think the biggest news is, my man? <sighs> That's a tough question. Um, outside of Aaron Rodgers, hmm. what's the what's the biggest thing that happened today? It's probably Randall Cobb. Yeah, Randall, Randall Cobb, Cobb will be back in green and yellow. This yeah, year. man, I'm uh, I'm excited about that. A lot of people are kind of like, eh, but you know, really seeing the trade, we didn't really give up that much, and we're we're getting a lot more back than we were for a six round pick, anyways. Oh yeah, and this is the kind of stuff. You know, there's been players in the past that were traded for six rounders, linebackers, defensive linemen, stuff like that, that were like, dang, it only took a six rounder. Like, why do we just hold on to these picks? And that's the kind of stuff that Rodgers is really going after when he was doing his presser today. Like, you know, and, you know, back when he did that whole thing on SportsCenter where he was like, you know, it's the way that the, you know, the company or the, the franchises ran, you know, the people make the franchise, you know, and. You know, he was he was talking about the way that they go about things. Sorry, my cat's trying to drink my water on the ground. <laughs> so um, we, I mean, we've talked about this a whole bunch of times that you know the Packers need to take an approach that the Patriots took with Tom Brady. They need to stop overvaluing the draft picks. Like we, when Julio Jones was dangled out there, yeah. Um, the guy now that I want the Packers to seriously take a look at is Chandler Jones because it was rumored that he asked for a trade a couple months ago. So he's, you know, he might be wanting out of Arizona now that they've signed J.J. Watt. I mean, um, I don't know if he thinks that that's going to take playing time away from him. Like, um, but I mean, like a guy that impactful is out there and he fills a need that the Packers, like the Packers have. Yeah. I mean, really the only impact guy in our line is Kenny Clark. That's it. Yeah. And tell me what... Tell these people what you thought of uh, – who am I thinking of? 95. Lancaster, when we saw him in real life. He looked kind of short, and he's kind of small. He does not look like a defensive end. No, he's 
he's actually kind of small, to be honest with you. I said he's just round. <laughs> he's just round, man. And, you know, Dean Lowry is our biggest guy. And, like, Dean Lowry's not small. He's 6'4", 300 yeah. pounds. Dean Lowry is a decent size. And, honestly, I think Dean Lowry is a, a decent player. Yeah. Um, I think he's a serviceable defensive end. What he needs is an impact guy on the other side of him. Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, when you're running away from somebody and you go, you know, you're going at Dean Lowry, he can he can hold his own. But when you have, you know, not great defensive ends on both sides, that's where the Packers have struggled with with some run defense stuff. Makes makes it pretty easy to just double down on Kenny. And you know something I saw today actually is they moved Kenny over to defensive end for a couple of plays. Hmm. And they put uh Lancaster in the middle. I mean, you're gonna single up Lancaster. Oh, one thing yeah, that you can at I, least try to get him to take up two blocks, right? Or, or even if you stumped him the right way, and he can just get off of one guy in the middle, maybe he'll flourish oh. in that role. I'm not sure. That's and that's maybe, an interesting thought. I gotta say, yeah. you know, with that thought process, one of the things that I have written down that I wanted to talk about is the new defensive coordinator. You know, you yeah. kind of mentioned it during the 11 and 11s. Um, he's hyping the guys up, and he's doing it from a, you know, in a positive way and also in, you know, like a get your ass in gear kind of way, um, you know, talking about, you know, he's, there was one play where something happened on the defense and he got up onto one of his DBs and he says, you know, if they score, it's your fault. Yep. So he's, he's coaching them up. He's putting responsibility on guys' shoulders and also supporting them when they're doing well. Um, I think it was the DB coach. You know, you mentioned that rebounding drill that they were having him do about going up to tip like jump balls and the the little speech that he gave before that drill started was talking about Dennis Rodman he's he's talking about it and he said Dennis Rodman made himself he set it out to be the best rebounder that was his one thing that he did and he was going to be the best at it and it's like okay so now you're taking that you know that logic from a you know a basketball player and applying it to a group of position players in the NFL and you're saying hey you guys are one of 11 on the defense. This is your thing to be good at is being a defensive back. And then they did a drill out of that. So I, I actually thought that was a kind of like a cool analogy, you know, type of, of thing to, um, to get the guys going. Um, let's talk about some offense. One sec before we switch to offense. I wanted to bring up your point that you made today because – I like when you sound smart, and I like to point it out. We talked uh, – we were in a group chat, and we were talking about, you know, Howard, you know, the Miami Dolphins corner requesting for a trade. And you talked about how Jair doesn't really get targeted that much because he's just all over players. Like, he's uh-huh. just that good on coverage. So it's really great for us to – it would be really ideal for us to have a big turnover guy opposite of him. So drills like that, you know, high-pointing the ball, knowing when they attack – those are good drills for those guys to have, especially a guy like Stokes, who in college has brought a couple, has a couple pick sixes. I mean, last year alone, I think he had two, if I remember correctly. Yep, I, know. I think so. Yep. He had two pick sixes. So if he's a guy that's opportunistic and take can take the ball away and make it hurt double, I mean, that's just that's nothing but great for us, man. Yeah, I did have one more thing on the defensive end, and that's um, about Eric Stokes. Um, definitely wanted to give him kind of like a shout out because I mentioned it to you that every single time that Stokes and Jair weren't out on the field getting a rep in on a you know on a practice play or you know in between drills every single time Eric Stokes was right up next to Jair asking him questions and talking to him yep. every yep. single time 
And Jair was willing to talk. And that's something that you need. You need great leadership, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody, if you watch the pressers, I know everybody's probably seen the Aaron Rodgers one, but if you guys yep. don't have the Green Bay Packers app on your phone, please download it. You can watch all the press conferences. You can see all the injury reports, everything, and make it really easy. Um, Adrian Amos has has a press conference that he did today. He talks about the players, you know, buying in. You know, they asked him a question about the NFC Championship game and what the expectations for this year is. And he basically talked about, we can't get back to that point unless we do the work now. You have to do the work all year long to get back to that point and beyond, you know. So I think there's really, really great leadership on this team. We have a great mix of veteran leadership and young guys who are hungry. I mean, they're all hungry. But, I mean, I, I really like this team, man. I think I think the Aaron Rodgers thing, as complicated as it was, was good for us. I really do. After after seeing everything that's transpired today, hearing how everybody thought, I think it's a good thing. All right. Well, let's talk about some offense. First thing I want to do is clear up a um, – I don't know if people saw the tweet or not. Rob Domovsky tweeted that Devontae Adams got hurt in practice. just want to say he's fine. Um, he I don't know exactly what he did, but he was down for – just a couple minutes and just a couple minutes after that he was up and he was running more plays. So he's fine. He's not hurt. Just want to clear that up for anybody who may have seen the Rob Domowski tweet that Devonte Adams is injured. He's not, he's fine. Um, yeah, so punching the balls. That's what I heard. I heard he got a nut shot, but um, let's talk about the offense. What did you, what, what caught your eye at the practice about the offense? Well, Aaron Rodgers is the baddest man on the planet. I want every time I talk about Packers offense, I want to start with Aaron Rodgers because <laughs> he's just he's that good. Um, Devontae Adams, probably the coolest looking wide receiver in the league. Outside of those two things, the things that caught my eyes was Jordan Love's progression. Man, he looks he is worlds ahead of where he was last year. He looks like a legit backup NFL quarterback now. Yep, I do not know how he would do it as a starter. But I'll tell you what, when they're running those drills, you know, everybody that's been to the practice, they have two nets, and there's two holes in each net, and they put a couple, you know, dummies down, and they make them slide back and forth, and the coach basically goes, and he tells them which way to throw, and the quarterback just lets it go. First of all, his mechanics are better, they're quicker, they're stronger, and he was accurate today. I mean, me and you saw probably the play of the day where he threw a perfect yep. touchdown to yeah. the far left corner to Amari Rodgers yep. right over the DB, and Amari made a great catch. So those yep. two, two young studs right there, you know, second-year pro and a rookie, hooking yep. up like that, that allows me, you know, to feel good when a Devontae and Aaron are done. I'm not saying that they're going to be as good. I'm not comparing them at all. I'm just saying, like, we'll still be all right, I think. I think we'll still score some points. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, it's a chemistry thing too. I mean, if they can get that started before they're even, you know, first yeah. team guys, I mean, you know, that's only going to make their, you know, their impact stronger. And I think AJ Dillon is a part of that. And I wanted to bring him up because AJ Dillon is going to punish people. He's going to punish some people this year. Legs oh, are so I do, I do not envy anybody who has to try to tackle him when it's cold out. Oh my. And all our home games are cold games, dude. We were just looking at the <laughs> schedule today. All of our home games are basically cold. <laughs> um Amari Rogers, he's he's actually really doing a lot. So you mentioned already um the play that he had up the left sideline into the left corner that he caught for the touchdown. Yep. Um I know you were talking to your dad before the show and you mentioned that he lined up wide left. He's known as a slot receiver, but he lined up wide left 
and Devontae Adams came across the formation and lined up in the slot. So they're kind of mixing some things up there, which is, you know, an interesting thing. And then you mentioned while we were watching it that, you know, they can have them crisscross and, um, you know, that can mess with DBs on the other team. And that's a lot to keep track of. And then on that play where, you know, everybody's got their eyes on Amari Rogers and Devontae Adams, they ran up the middle with A.J. Dillon. Oh, and the thing we're not mentioning is the guy that scored 10 touchdowns last year and <laughs> Robert Tanyan. Exactly. And we so, watched a couple of plays after that where Tanyan got schemed wide open over the Wide middle. open. We're watching the red zone drills, by the right way. Right at they're the half marks. Yeah, he got, he got wide open right over the middle, just sat down right there. Everybody else was running across, linebackers, DBs are just like, what the heck's going on? And Robert Tanya's just like, yep, bloop, three yards away from the end zone, I'm wide open, easy little easy little pass. Easy touchdown, yep. Um, and then the other thing with Amari Rogers is he's doing some of that pre-snap motion. We talked about it basically every single week last year about you know who's going to fill that Tyler Irvin role. And they brought in Tavon Austin later in the season, um, but now they've drafted Amari Rogers, and he's being used in that Tyler Irvin role a little bit. Um, I think we'll probably see Randall Cobb do a little bit of that pre-snap motion stuff, but um, they're running him across the formation in a jet sweep type of situation where, you know, they're not waiting for him to complete his pre-snap motion. He's coming across the, the formation as the ball is getting hiked. So we might see some Amari Rogers jet sweeps this season. I mean, I could see some, jet sweep fakes and a screen to Randall Cobb. I mean, there's just so many options you could do, man. How do we feel yeah. about the presser on Aaron's comments? That's wow. the next thing I was just about to bring up. I'm going to let you go first. I want to hear what you have to say. So I don't have a ton to say about it, but I have one big takeaway. Yep. And my big takeaway is that it's not – that he wants to be making decisions. It's that he wants to have his voice heard on the decisions. He doesn't want to be the decision maker, but he wants his voice to be heard when there are decisions to be made. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, you need to do what I say and that's it. But he just wants you to say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, Somebody made the, the comparison to Giannis with the Bobby Portis situation. And it's a, it's a pretty fair point. You know, when uh, Bobby Portis texted Giannis and said, Hey, come get me. And Bobby, you know, and, and Giannis went to the front office and said, Hey, I think we should go get Bobby Portis. And they did. And they won a championship. I'm not saying that Bobby Portis is the only reason they won a championship. That's not what I'm getting at. I but mean, he, he was the only player to score off the bench in game six. I'm just saying, <laughs> I mean, you know, you can saying. attribute that to Giannis dropping 52, but, yeah. Um, and Pat Connaughton missing all four of his shots, which is unfortunate, but yeah, um, it hurt his percentage a little bit. Um, you know, if he drops even half of them, Bucks win by double digits. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what I took away from Rogers is that you know, he doesn't want it to be whatever I say goes, he just wants it to say, Hey, while you guys are thinking about this, this is what I think. And when we've talked about this in the past, my stance on it has been quarterbacks are the smartest players on the field and Aaron Rodgers is top of the you know the whole league in terms of smart quarterbacks so you're talking about one of the smartest players in the entire league of over 500 players why wouldn't you want to listen to him why wouldn't you want to hear what he has to say what he thinks what he sees on the field 
you know, I think Gudekunst is a, a pretty solid GM, but he doesn't play on the field. He's not watching the games from the sidelines. He's not interacting with, you know, all of the players as often as a guy like Rodgers is. So why wouldn't you want to hear what he has to say? I agree. Here's my thoughts on it. Uh, I brought in uh, Xavier Henry Howard, you know, earlier. And uh, one of his comments about, you know, him wanting to be traded is he doesn't feel valued by the Dolphins. And I think that's a word that we can probably use with Aaron Rodgers is he didn't feel valued. His opinion wasn't being heard. And that's why, you know, he's getting all this money. But really, at the end of the day, it's not about money. You know, they can make that he can make his money, you know, in other ways and endorsements after his career. Yep. But what people are going to remember Aaron Rodgers is his legacy, right? That he leaves on the football field. Yep. And we're hearing, you know, in the presser, he talks about how players have come up to him and asked to play with him and come to Green Bay, like, hey, come get me, come get me. And he goes and tells them, and they're just kind of like, yeah, nah, it's not going to happen. You know, there, there was a video floating around. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but about Calvin Johnson. You know, he gets hit in the game against Green Bay. And he looks over at Aaron during the game and says, hey, come get me. Calvin Johnson, dude. Like, I mean, do I have to say anything else? Calvin freaking Johnson. He's 6'5", 240. He ran a 4'3", 40. I want that with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's like, number- he's like DK Metcalf before DK Metcalf. Yeah. Oh, okay. DK Metcalf does not deserve to be in. Coming I out. mean, I mean the body size. Yeah, you know what yeah, I, mean? I, know, I know. I'm just giving you shit. Um, <laughs> but look at, look at Brady, man. You know, he brings in Antonio Brown to the Patriots when he was going through all that, all that legal stuff. Brown, you know, misses his basically the entire season. Tom Brady goes down to Tampa, still brings in Antonio Brown. That is a franchise valuing their Hall of Fame quarterback's opinions. Mm-hmm. That's something that the Packers need to do. And I said it when Rodgers tweeted about the Bucks winning the title, that he was throwing shade at the owners. You know, good job, GM, for doing this. Good job, owners, for doing this. Good job, Peter, for doing this. I'm like, bro, he's being so petty right now, but he's not wrong. And Dylan... Every smart Packer fan agreed with everything that Aaron Rodgers said because we should have at least one more Super Bowl in the Aaron Rodgers era. Yep. At least one. At I can think of two right now. I can think of two off the top of my head. Last yep. year and 2014. Those both should have and, been. And I would consider even going back to 2011 when they went 15-1, and one, beat I the Giants in the regular that. season, I didn't and then that. lost to the Giants in the NFC Championship game. No, we lost in the divisional. Was a divisional playoff game, but um, we our defense was so bad that year. That's why I didn't say that year because our defense was that was the year that Nick Collins got hurt week two against. Yeah, yeah. I mean, twenty fourteen, we had we were okay on everything, and Aaron Rodgers was the man. And last year, we were absolutely phenomenal in all areas. We could have won, so I gave us at least one, maybe two, that we we would have beat the brakes off Kansas City. Yeah. So Darius would have had a field day. Yeah. I missed the Collins. Actually, did you just see the the Packers uh like retired players tour? It was uh no, I didn't. it was Ryan Grant, Nick Collins, James Jones, and I don't remember the last one. Oh, Ryan Grant. But they were all going Ryan around. Grant's Oh, Ryan Grant? Oh, I don't know who it was then. There was four of them. But anyways, they were going around like hospitals and 
and seeing kids and stuff like that. But yeah, seeing Nick Collins, man, that was awesome. I mean, James Jones still looks like he's the same in the same shape. He yeah, 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 just get him a hoodie and put him back on the field. Man, man hey, if they bring a Cobb back, they're talking about bringing Jordy. Why not bring Hoodie Jones back, man? All right. Um, you you have anything else you want to talk about with the Packers? I mean, um, I know one of the things that I mentioned, you were talking about it while we were watching. You're like, man, I can't wait for the season to start. I'm like, easy. I'm like, I want to see the preseason. Yeah. I want to because I said I want to see Jordan Love play, you know, an actual game. Obviously, it's still a preseason game, but I want to see like actual in-game action from Jordan Love before we get to the season. You know what? about Jordan Love in preseason. It's going to be very interesting because he didn't really play at all last year, obviously. Uh-huh. Didn't get any preseason. This was his first practice in front of fans. Uh-huh. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know, he's made. I think he's made a big leap. I really do. But for him to – and I've said this about life too. I mean, I'll be a life coach right now. The only experience that really matters in life is firsthand experience. You can't like – you can explain to somebody how something feels mm-hmm. or how it looks, but you can't really know what that situation is like until you're there. So, yeah, that, that was 2014, Dylan, by the way, to backtrack. But you can't really know, I mean, what anything is like until you do it. So I'm very excited as well to see Jordan Love. I hope he's just dropping dimes, baby. I really do. hope he's dropping dimes, running for touchdowns. Like, I hope we got a young stud back there, man, just to shut yeah. up all the haters, really. Especially the Bears fans. And I don't I want to love on fields, but God dang it, I hope he sucks for the Bears and he lights it up somewhere else. I was just gonna say I hope I hope Jordan Love ends up being better than Justin Fields just because oh, I would be they'll never just keep their him. just keep their quarterback revolving door going. Man. Um so the Randall Cobb deal is official now. The, the Packers are sending a sixth round pick to Houston. They're getting him for a six-rounder, and Houston is also retaining $3 million of his $8 million contract for this year. So, um, $5 million. He's basically yep. Pat Connaughton for the Packers. That's a solid comparison, actually. And you know how I feel about Pat Connaughton. I know how you feel. Oh, it's yeah. I appreciate it. Randall Cobb do a lot of things for us, man. I agree. And and one of the things that that's kind of slides under the radar is his relationship with Amari Rodgers. I got something about uh, – yeah, that's good. I got something my dad told me on the phone, actually. You didn't hear. Um, so part of the reason that my dad heard this on the radio, don't know how true it is. Don't come at me for this. He said, Raga will suck on the Bears as well. <laughs> yeah, I know, Josh. <laughs> um, he talked about how Roger's girlfriend, uh, Shaylee Woodley or whatever, yep, Shaylee was Woodley. kind of uh, iffy about moving to Green Bay. But apparently – her and Randall Cobb's wife are really, really tight. Hmm. So they were hanging out this offseason, and Aaron basically looked at Randall and said, hey, I'll get you back. So that might have been some part of the reason why they're kind of like, we're going to keep Aaron happy, keep his woman happy, you know. But, I mean, also Randall Cobb does good things, and him and Aaron mm-hmm. have a good relationship. Yeah, but, you know, that could just be another bonus to it, you know, that yeah. that helps out, you know, Rodgers you know, off the field life a little bit too. Um, he talked a lot about it in his press conference that he spent a lot of his off season um, just getting into a better headspace, being a better, you know, being better mental health, um, just being a better person, being a better version of himself. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, he didn't specifically, you know, mention his fiance's name, but um, you know, a lot of that stuff 
ties into a lot of the pictures that we saw of him spending time with her this off season. So um, hey, they, they say behind every strong man is a stronger woman. And I really, I firmly believe that man. I really and do. I think that's probably even, even more true for professional athletes who are, are gone for so many big, uh, um, chunks of time, you know, with travel yeah. and off season. And then, you know, um, guys can live in different areas, you know, away from green Bay. So, I mean, that's a big deal. So, James, I agree. We did need a slot. Tyler and I have talked about that for <laughs> days on days, man. <laughs> we miss Randall Cobb. And I'm excited yeah. for Amari Rogers. I mean, we missed your Michael Finley for how long? I mean, he dropped the ball. But Michael Finley demanded respect down the middle, you know, going deep vertical as a tight end. We finally got that with Tanyan. And then, you know, when we didn't have Finley, we had Cobb. And then we got the tight end. And then we didn't have Cobb. So now we have it both. And we still have a bona fide number one, an MVP quarterback, a top five wide receiver. I would say top, top seven, seven, five, you know, offensive line. A lot of good offensive lines out there now. I'm not going to say that. I would, I would say that. probably a top six or seven running back. Yeah. I mean, we, we got a running ball behind him. And we'll. See, I hope this year, something that I really hope is that LaFleur, you know, lets go of that grip. You know, I, I feel like he's, I feel like he's holding himself back. You know, like there's been situations where like he could be more aggressive and he could do certain things. I want him to do it, man. Just go for it, man. We only have so many years in Aaron Rodgers. And then when you have a Jordan Love, that's when you can hold back on certain things because Love's not going to have experience in certain things. Uh-huh. You have an Aaron Rodgers, man. You have a unicorn. Ride that mother, you know? Let's <laughs> go. Yeah, James, I can't wait to see more A.J. Dillon either. Um, sitting next to some of the guys that we were talking to at the Packer practice and you know, talking about um, how he's going to be running people over in cold weather. He's And then um, – you know, I, it, right away I thought about in the NFC Championship game where he was kind of getting tackled. He had a guy on his back, and he just lifted him up. That was so nuts. <laughs> I can't wait to see more stuff like that. <laughs> that was a linebacker, like a 250-pound dude, and A.J. Dillon just stands up with him on his back. That's so yeah. nuts. Yeah, and he made him look like a 10-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so nuts that he just stood up with a dude on his back. So Man, nuts. Sports is really the – greatest medicine that america has to offer i will just say that right now it really is man it takes all the distraction away and this this is really fun too because we're getting into what is going to be our second season our you know it's going to be the first sport that we're doing a second season of um we started this show um last september right at the end of september and we barely had a framework for it we were just going to be like hey we're going to show up and talk about stuff and now you know, we've got some more structure. We hit 750 followers today, which was cool. Um, Thank you, by the way. And, and, and we're having a lot of fun. And now we're getting into our second Packers season. And we are going to be doing sometime during the Packers season. Right now we're looking at early November doing a live show in Green Bay so that we can uh, have some people come out and watch us live for sure, um, which would be a lot of fun too. Um so yeah, excited to get into our second Packers season, and it was fun watching uh, watching the Packers practice this morning and seeing them get back into it. <laughs> Look at my cousin said. <laughs> I see that. Uh, uh, yeah, he's big. By the way, we saw him in real life today. Very big human being. Very big. His like his one of his legs was like the same width of Jordan Love's both legs. Dude, Jordan Love is so skinny, man. He's such a he's just a skinny, lanky guy. 
He's, he's I mean, he's lean, like he's you know, he's in good yeah, shape. Yeah. But, he's one of those yeah. wiry guys, you know, he's wiry strong. Yeah, that's what they say. Instead of calling you skinny, they call you wiry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Devin Funches is the exact same way. It's like, like his leg is like this long and like this wide around. Dude, Devin Funches just looks like he has a really long ankle. <laughs> like his ankle just goes, and then like calf. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, then they just like put a calf muscle on there. Yeah, dude, his calf muscles are huge for, but he's 6'4. Just, I don't know, he has long legs. <laughs> yeah, his, yeah, his, yeah. Between his knee and ankle is just like eight feet. Yeah, for that's what it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, man. You want to talk anything else about the Packers before we move into the Brewers? No, but I will tell people we're going to talk some fantasy football, so look forward to that. Yeah. I'm Sometime in August. We, like give, uh, we should um, we should maybe do that, not next week, but the following week. Um, next week, just so anybody knows, uh, we're going to be doing the show live on Friday night next week or Friday afternoon. Uh, next Wednesday is my wife's birthday, so we're going to move the show from Wednesday to Friday next week so I uh, can hang with the wife on her birthday, so. Next week, August 6th, not on the 4th. Wednesday, not Friday. All right. Let's August. talk. Let's talk Brewers. Uh, you and I had the the same cool stat written down. Um, I'll let you share it because I probably have more stats anyways. Um, <laughs> so start off with the Reds series. Did you have anything from the Reds series that stood out to you? No, I, uh, I have, um, you know, before the All-Star break, I told you guys the stat of the Reds having the same amount of losses against the Diamondbacks as they did against the Brewers, and the Brewers were 5-8 and eight against the Reds, and it was really, really huge for us to come out and you know sweep them and tie up that season series and really take control of the division again. I thought that mm-hmm. was really big coming out of the break. For sure. Um, so they won 11-6 in game one. Seven to four in eleven innings in game two, and shut them out eight to nothing in game three of that series. Um, the first game, eleven to six, Willie Adamas four RBI. Colton Wong had three hits. Luis Urias was two for four. Uh, Jason Base was on base three times. Um, Hauser had an okay game, and then uh, the bullpen lights out. Um, game two, eleven inning game. You know, it's one of those things where the Brewers are starting to get to a point where they're having a lot of extra inning games. Um, but that's kind of what happens when you have a low scoring offense and a lot of pitching. Um, you know, you get into a lot of like two, two situations or, you know, three threes and that's where you, you know, you got to finish games and that's where we've been pretty lucky to have a pretty good bullpen, even with all the turnover this year. Um, second game in that extra innings game, um, eight different players with hits, six different guys with RBI, just a, a really big team effort. Um, Woodruff pitched decent. His his pitch count just got away from him in that game. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, I was so frustrated for Corbin Burns because I thought for sure he was going to be able to get his complete game. He got so close. I'm like, oh, we just need a double play ball. We just need a double play ball. And he couldn't. He just couldn't get a ground ball. I wish he yeah, could have channeled his inner Brett Anderson and gotten a ground ball to get out of that game. <laughs> um, the defense just couldn't get it done. It was, it was so close. Rowdy Telez had the error and. Um, the bases ended up loaded and he ended up with like 107 pitches or 112 pitches. I don't remember. Um, yeah. he was in that range, but, uh, Angel Perdomo came in, struck out two guys to end the game. So it still got the shutout. Um, yep. 
eight and a third innings, 12 strikeouts, just one shy of his career high. Um, Luis Urias, Christian Yelich, Willie Adamas, Tyrone Taylor, Jackie Bradley Jr. all had two hits in that game. Um, let's move on to Kansas City. So the Brewers come out of a sweep of the Reds and then lose a two-game sweep against Kansas City Royals. Uh, very not good baseball team. I don't know if you have anything coming from that series. No, we just shouldn't be losing to the Kansas City Royals. That's what I have written down. I have a score. Yeah. I looked at the pitching and I'm like, why are we losing to the Royals, dude? Yeah, basically all the all the hitting disappeared in that series. Um, it comes back a little foreshadowing to the series from this past weekend, but. Um, um, Avi Garcia and Manny Pena, only multi-hit players in the game. Um, they lost five to two in the first game, three to six in the second game. And the first game, they only struck out eight times as a team. So like the Brewers are striking out a ton this season, but they didn't strike out a lot in that game specifically. Um, mm-hmm. so they just couldn't, they just couldn't find the grass, whether it was, you know, bad luck or just, you know, too many ground outs, fly outs, but, um, yeah, yeah. They just they just couldn't get hits, um, which sucks for you know a guy like Brett Anderson who takes a lot of heat when he doesn't pitch great. He had five innings, only give up two runs. You got to be able to win those games. Yeah, you do. It happens. We 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 complain about it when you know Woodruff and Burns don't get run support, but you know all you know all five guys need run support. You know you can't win if you don't score. Um, and then Hunter Strickland finally gave up runs as a brewer for the first time. You know, he's pitched 14 games and it took 12 games for him to give up a run. So, um, you know, David Stearns picking up Hunter Strickland just for cash considerations. Um, David Stearns is a wizard. We're going to talk about some trade targets in a little bit, but, um, you know, grabbing a guy like Hunter Strickland, just out of nowhere who comes in and starts contributing. I mean, that's awesome to see. Um, and then in the second game, they lost six to three. Yelich, the only one with, with multiple hits. And then again, Eric Lauer, he's a guy that takes a lot of heat because he's not a flashy player. He's not a strikeout guy. He's he's a ground ball pitcher. Gets a lot of soft contact, but you know, he has one bad game and he's one of those guys that everybody overreacts and it says, you know, why is Lauer even on this team? It's like he's on this team because he can have games where he pitches five innings and gives up no runs, which is what he did. He had five innings, no runs. You gotta be able to win those games. Appreciate that, dude. Really do. And then, all right. So let's move on to Chicago White Sox. Uh, Courtney and I were at the first game of that series. Uh, they won seven to one. Let's talk about the White Sox series. Well, first thing I want to say is I like beating up on teams from Chicago. That makes me happy. <laughs> I will. I want to say this really quick before I let you talk about it. White Sox fans are far friendlier than Cubs fans. Just want to throw that out there. I mean, think about Cubs fans, man. They they are kind of entitled because uh, they're told like, oh, we have a legendary stadium, we have a legendary logo, we have a legendary team. All oh, the Cubbies, the Cubbies, the Cubbies. Well, <laughs> look at Steve. Steve, <laughs> I see Steve, Steve in the comments. <laughs> you better be ready for football, man. We won't beat up on the Bears, bro. <laughs> he said, uh, sure. He probably hey, saw the caption on the bottom when we were talking about the Packers and probably shut it off and then came back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoy beating up with these from Chicago. I always will. Um, <laughs> he said, shut up, man. I'm sorry. I love those. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just have written down that the, you know, you said that the hitting, you know, 
you know, went away in Kansas City. I, I wrote down that run support came back first, you know, the White Sox, except for the final game where it was just really just one bad inning for um, Woodruff. And it was that inning where the bottom of the lineup really did all the run support, the eight hole. And then who was the pitcher that day? I forgot. Big fella. Lynn or whatever, right? Yeah, Lance Lynn. Yep. Yeah, he used to play for the Cardinals. Yep. The QB of – for one year. Hey, he didn't rule out being here for 2022, by the way. So do your research, my man. <laughs> Watch um, the press conference, Steve. Yeah, they only voided the last year in his contract, which is two years away from now. Um you just take you just you just going crazy off that one, you know, thing on Instagram, which everybody is. Stop listening me. to Adam Schefter, by the way. We should have mentioned that when we were talking about the Packers. Stop listening to Adam Schefter. We we shouldn't have to say that. After he went He's, on there and said that he didn't have any credentials. He's, and, he, and he always says sources, you know, quote unquote sources. Like, yeah. and and even Rogers said it wasn't a draft day thing. Like Schefter, I think honestly did that for attention. If I'm being 100 percent honest, um, I mean, lost a lot of respect for Adam Schefter this off season. I agree. Um, so back to baseball. Like yep. I said, final game. Uh, that game was on ESPN, I believe. Yep. Uh, they played great in all, all three games, except, you know, the last game, second inning was a little rough, Woodruff. I mean, but he pitched – he just couldn't find the strike zone, I think, in that game. You know, he missed on a couple of pitches, and then he put himself in a position to throw a couple two-seamers, you know, late in the second inning. And why would you throw a two-seamer to the pitcher in that situation? Why not just throw a, you know, off-speed or make him chase or throw some up or throw some down? He goes back to the two-seam, and Lynn just finds grass and – uh Knocks a couple of runs in, and that was basically that game. But outside of that, man, I mean, the Brewers really just – they shut them down. White Sox are overrated because they're from Chicago, so all Chicago teams are overrated in my head. And I'm going to let Tyler say some stats. <laughs> all right, so I will come back to Woodruff because I'm going to say the same things that I just said. Um, first off, I was – like I said, Courtney and I were at the, the first game of that series when Freddie Peralta got pulled in the fourth inning, and I'm like, what's going on? Um, Craig Council had a planned tandem start between Freddie Peralta and Adrian Hauser. Um, it's going to happen again. So if you see a guy get pulled early in a game and you're like, what? Freddie Peralta's only got four innings and 51 pitches, or why are we pulling him already? If you see another starter come in right after that, that was a planned tandem start. It's going to happen again. Craig Council said it with, you know, with six guys in the rotation and some off days mixed in. They're going to have some tandem starts, A, to keep guys fresh and healthy, and B, to make sure everybody's getting reps, basically. Um, So Freddie Peralta and Adrian Hauser in that game, six innings combined, seven strikeouts, no hits. Um, Just a huge game, honestly, from basically everybody. Um, And then the seventh inning was was really, really fun to watch. A bunch of guys getting hits, um, drawing walks, and then Tyrone Taylor started his own hot streak. And launched a grand slam. Stadium got real loud when Tyrone hit that grand slam. I can imagine. <laughs> um, eight guys with hits in that game as well. So, it's getting loud. more. Uh, yeah, that's that's very good. You're getting hits up and down the order. Um, game two, Chris, uh, Christian. I almost said Christian Burns. Corbin Burns, another solid, another solid outing. Um, six innings, only one run, six strikeouts. Um, Colton Wong led off the game with a home run, just launched it first pitch, launched it up into the third deck. Um, 
Rowdy Telez hit two solo shots, and Tyrone Taylor kept his streak going. And then Tyrone Taylor again stayed hot in the third game. The Brewers only got eight hits in that game. Um, Lance Lynn just got you know a big extension from the White Sox, and you know he showed off why. The Brewers only managed eight hits, and four of them came from Tyrone Taylor and Jackie Bradley Jr., who each had two. You want to know something that was interesting about that third and final game? It was the lowest combined ERA for the two starters in Sunday night baseball history. Hmm. I don't know. I remember uh, watching the game. I remember hearing that. I was like, wow. Sunday night baseball has been on for a long time. So and the Brewers do not appear uh, on it often. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, uh, it's kind of annoying. Lance Lynn had like a 199 and – Woodruff is just over two, like two point zero four. I think the Brewers have three in the top five for ERA in the NL. Well, they talked about that too. This is an interesting conversation. I wanted to bring it up without saying anything to you. They talked about you know the race in the NL for the Cy Young, and Mm -hmm. potentially have you know a couple people taking votes away from each other. I mean, just on the Brewers alone, you're gonna have people be voting for Corbin Burns. You're gonna be people voting for Brandon Woodruff. I mean, where do you know what? You know how we're gonna solve this? It's going to be the three finalists for the Cy Young Award, and it's just going to be Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, and Corbin Burns. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm cool with that. We'll see what happens with the Grom. He's probably still the the front runner for it, I would say, but his health is definitely definitely going to be a factor if he's going to be around yeah. to win that award. Yeah, what if he doesn't um, get enough innings, man? All of a sudden, that, yeah. that thing could be handed to Woodruff, man, honestly. Um, and that's, you know, back to Woodruff. He pitched seven innings, only gave up three runs. You got to be able to win those games. Yeah, and he only he only really got hurt in the second inning, man. And so I wanted to bring that up. You know, I mentioned Lauer and Anderson and Woodruff that you got to be able to win those games. When the Brewers score four or more runs, they're forty nine and eight. God damn! <laughs> that's 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 insane. You don't need to score four runs to have a five out of six chance to win the game, basically. God, That's like an 83% chance to win the game if you score more than four runs. Wow. That's how good the Brewers pitching and defense has been. You need four runs to have an 83% chance to win. I mean, last night, uh, who am I thinking of? Oh, Narvaez got four RBIs by himself last night. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean... Right there, he gave us our 80-plus percent chance to they, win. They, yeah, they put eight runs on in the first two innings. Yeah, they on were road right to a nine-to-nothing shutout. I mean, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Ass. yeah, I see you, George. 49-8 and eight when they score four runs. Look at my man G-Hawk talking some Brewers baseball. I like you, my <laughs> man. So, last night, eight runs in the first two innings. Um Lorenzo Cain, Rowdy Telez, Avi Garcia, Armar Narvaez, Colton Wong all had two hits last night. Um, Brett Anderson, another solid game. Six innings, three hits, no runs, only one walk. He pitched those six innings with only 72 pitches. Yes, he did. He was a man, he was a man on a mission last night. Dude, so this is where the situation where I'm getting into. Adrian Hauser, he's been decent. As far as a number four starter is concerned, pretty solid. Um, the Brewers are apparently a Vegas betting odds of fifteen to four to get Max Scherzer. I'm not. Whoa. I'm not. I don't really think that they need to because he's got some pretty insane deferred salary after this year. But Bro, but imagine Scherzer in our lineup. <laughs> Holy shit! 
so, you know, as we talk about this, Brett Anderson and Eric Lauer, they're two ground ball, soft contact type pitchers. So they are the perfect complement to the power pitchers that Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta are. So when you see those guys, you know, you don't have to be bummed out that you're not seeing one of Burns, Peralta, or, or Woodruff because those other guys have such a contrasting style of pitching to the way that those other three do, that that messes teams up. And that's where you get into a situation where, you know, Brett Anderson, he's had games where he's pitched seven innings, give up no runs on less than 80 or 90 pitches just because he gets guys to ground out so much. And it's why Brent Suter is nine wins on this season. He doesn't strike a lot of guys out like Josh Hader does, but he gets a lot of guys to ground out. He doesn't even pitch that hard. He doesn't even pitch that hard. His fastball is like 87, 88 miles an hour. That's his four-seam fastball. It's but his his pace, the way that he pitches, the speed that he pitches, not his pitching speeds, but how he gets back to the mound and he's ready to go again as soon as that batter's in the batter's box that throws hitters off. And then he gets a lot of ground outs. Brent Suter's nine and four this year. He has nine wins. There is a quote from Randy Johnson, and every one of us as a kid who were born in the 90s loved Randy Johnson because he threw him 100 miles an hour and he was awesome. And then he, he killed, killed a bird, bird once. Yeah, <laughs> I knew you would say that because we all loved it, right? Um, but he has a quote talking about, you know, Greg Maddox, and he wants kids to watch Greg Maddox to learn how to be a great pitcher because Greg Maddox didn't need overpowering stuff. He just hit his spots. You know, you talked about pace. He went, he went his pace. He hit his spots. He did his pitches. He was a pitcher. But Randy Johnson just, I mean, and Randy Johnson was great. Don't get me wrong, but he could just reach back and just reach levels that nobody saw before. Now it seems like everybody's throwing freaking 95 to 98, and it's just like, what the heck is going on here? But, you know, p- players like Suter, you know, they just hit their spots and they get their outs, man. That That is where it, baseball is, you know. that That's what baseball is. There's nothing wrong with that. But I wanted to bring that quote up, and I knew I knew if I brought it up, you are going to bring up the bird. I knew it. <laughs> that's probably one of the first things that everybody thinks about. When they hear the name Randy Johnson, they probably think of the Arizona Diamondbacks jerseys that had the cutoff sleeves. And yeah. then I think of Randy Johnson hitting the bird. Those are probably the first two things to think of when you think of Randy Johnson. <laughs> Maybe the mustache. Maybe the mustache. Maybe. So I got a question. <laughs> Did you know that this was last night was Anderson's first win since April 17th? I mean, he was on the injured list for a good while, so that doesn't terribly surprise me, but good for him. That's a long time to go without a win. And you talked about ground balls. He had 12 ground ball outs last night. That's a lot. That's 12 ground ball outs out of 18 outs that he recorded. Yeah. So, two-thirds. Yeah, two-thirds. It's a lot. That'll do. It so one last thing I want to bring up. Um, actually, a couple things. Just a couple news things. Christian Yelich has COVID, so he's going to be out for two weeks. So we get Lorenzo Cain back, and now Christian Yelich is out. Yeah. You know, until we trade either Lorenzo Cain or Jackie Bradley Jr., I mean, at least Tyrone Taylor is going to get more playing time again. So there's that, at least. You know, there's kind of a silver lining there. Um, and then Devin Williams has been activated. So his, you know, his little soft tissue injury that he had, not something serious, but he is back now. So Devin Williams is also back. Obviously, I mentioned Lorenzo Cain already. Lorenzo Cain is back. Um, but we're going to be without Christian Yelich for a little bit. And then, um, We'll, we'll need to see some improvement from him when he gets back. 
Um, last thing I want to say before we move on to some trade targets, trade deadline is Friday um, or Friday night at midnight, whatever, Friday or Saturday, however you want to say it. Um, yeah. Before we talk about that, the trade for Willie Adamas. Brewers are 38 and 21 since acquiring Willie Adamas. 17 games over 500 since grabbing Willie Adamas. I have a Willie Adamas jersey on the way. I can't wait till it gets here. The Brewers are 17 games over 500 right now. <laughs> so basically, he's the responsibility for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could look at him as a catalyst, um, but he has definitely turned around the the emotion in the clubhouse. He has exceeded every expectation that he didn't have because nobody knew really – basic fans didn't know anything about him. I mean, I knew very little of him. I just knew that he played for the Rays. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Like, as soon as we, you know, I, I saw the deal and I was bummed because we were losing Fire Eisen. But when I started looking at Adamus, it's like, okay, okay, okay. Oh, and he's under team control until 2025? Like, oh, okay, all right, cool. This, yeah, this sounds good to me. Yeah. And, you know, the Brewers, David Stearns has done a good job finding replacements in the bullpen. Um, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago that I think bullpen pitching is probably the easiest, um, the easiest production to replace as far as baseball is concerned. Yeah. Um, and that's basically been the case for the Brewers since trading for Willie Adonis. So, um, definitely some more David Stern's wizardry there. Um, hoping that we see some more David Stern's wizardry in the upcoming days. Um, I don't know if you want to do one and then I'll do one and then you do one. Um, but we each have three trade targets that we would have on a you know a potential wish list for the brewers to grab um, before the trade deadline. So I'll let you start first and then I'll give one. So my first guy that I put on here, uh, me and Tyler were talking about the show. We all have probably first gonna have, probably going to have some same ones. <laughs> we all we all have first baseman. So. We think that's the biggest, you know, need area for the Brewers. Yep. First, so my first guy plays for the Rockies. His name is CJ Crone. Um, he hits 245. He has 14 home runs, and he plays pretty decent defense. So I thought, you know, a guy with some pop and that hits for a pretty good average. I mean, that's pretty much my trend in this. Is I was watching uh, Council's presser last night when I got home from work, and he got asked a question about hitting home runs and home runs and stuff like that, and he said he didn't want to put too much weight in it because, you know, you can't really – you can't control that. But he said you have to hit the home run because it's the easiest way to score runs, and you have to score runs. That's just the name of the game. He was gave the stat about scoring four runs. If you can get a guy that can hit a two-run homer and then manufacture two more runs, you give yourself an 80-plus percent chance to win the game if you're the yeah, brewer. Basically, yeah. So, I mean, if you can find a guy for first base, you know, like a curl that hits four, has 14 home runs and playing on a pretty – pretty crappy team in the Rockies. You could, I mean, you put yourself in a better position. So basically I, you know, I wrote an article for, I write for fan sided for the Brewers and the Bucks. And I wrote an article about, you know, um, a guy to trade for and a guy to avoid. Um, my guy to trade for was CJ Cron. Um, he's only making a hundred thousand dollars this year. He's on a two way contract. He's very, a very low risk, high reward type player. Um, wouldn't take a lot to get him. Um, and my guy to avoid was a guy that the Brewers checked in on was Josh Donaldson. Don't mm. love that. He's a uh, he's like three years past his prime. You know, if we were talking five years ago, Toronto Blue Jays, Josh Donaldson, that's a different story. But 
Um, Josh Donaldson, he's making like $23 million this year. It's because he's the first guy that I'm going to offer up and making less than that. Yeah. And it's for a first baseman. And I personally, I've been a a Luis Urias truther. Um, Even when he was at shortstop when we traded Arcia, I felt that that was the right move to move on to Luis Urias season. Um, And I like now that he's kind of found his home at third base. Um, I think he plays a pretty solid third base. I mean, the errors haven't been as big of an issue for him. You know, he still has them here and there. Um, He's only 23. So I'm willing to give him, you know, a little bit of leeway on also playing a position that he's not entirely familiar with. Um, And he's actually hitting the ball pretty decent. He's already shown this year that he's got more pop in his bat than Orlando Arcia ever did. And like I said, he's playing some pretty decent defense. So I don't feel the need to trade for a third baseman. Not to mention that Travis Shaw is also starting his rehab assignment with Nashville. So Travis Shaw is going to be coming back at some point. So Mm. I still feel that first base is the biggest position where not only do they need to see, you know, a better offense, but a better defense, um, defensive first baseman, which brings me to my first guy, which is Eric Hosmer. And I, I just wrote an article for him too, about could the Brewers be a place where he lands? Um, He would have to waive a no trade clause. He does have, you know, a a blocker for Milwaukee. Um, Whether he thought that was, you know, the Brewers weren't going to be a contender anytime soon or anything like that. But um, he's making $20 million this year and he makes um, I think 20 next year and then 13 the year after. So his contract is big, but it's also not insurmountable, especially if you're a team where we're talking about how good the Brewers are that can contend for the World Series. Yes. We were talking about this last night that the Pirates are nine of the Brewers' next 19 games. So the Brewers get to play a a bottom-of-the-barrel team while the NL West all beat up on each other. NL West is tough. They have three teams that are going to be gunning for the one seed in the in the NL. So if the Brewers can, you know, just kind of keep cruising, you know, winning ball games and the NL West beats up on themselves, the Brewers can really, really give this a shot this year. I honestly feel better about this team than I did about the team in 2018. And that team had all the heart, but this team's got damn good pitching. And they have some really fun guys to watch in the field. I feel they just need one more bat. And I feel like Eric Hosmer could be that guy. Um, People are concerned about his contract, but that's really the only concern. You know, he's not been the best as far as, you know, war rating, but he's batting 261, which is a lot more than a lot of guys in the Brewers can say. And he's playing in like a very unfriendly hitters ballpark. Petco Park is probably the bottom third of hitter-friendly ballparks, and American Family Field is probably in the top third of hitter-friendly ballparks. So he can come here and just mash home runs. He's capable of doing it, and not to mention that, but he's also familiar with Lorenzo Cain. They were together in Kansas City. So, you know, and what I've read about him too, he's a good clubhouse guy. He's good at mentoring young players and stuff like that. So I'm absolutely willing to accept some salary in exchange for having a chance at a World Series. Not saying that Hosmer makes us a World Series favorite, but um, he's a guy that could contribute, so. Uh, I'll let you give your second one. I like that, man. I mean, one thing that you maybe could have mentioned in there is, you know, because we talked about him with Kane in Kansas City, is he has championship experience. 
That's yep, exactly. Yeah, so, that's perfect. Staying on the KC train, my next guy is actually from KC because Carlos Santana used to mash for the Indians, kind of dipped okay. a little bit, and now he has 17 home runs, hitting 236 this year. So I think – I mean, he's played a lot of DH, so not the best on defense. But, you know, we're just talking about gaining another bat. We have so much pitching that I'm really not worried about too much of the defense of the first baseman. You know what I'm saying? I just you need know, a guy – Exactly. And to your point, you know, a guy that's DH a lot, like we could use a good pinch hitter. Yeah. You know, bringing in Keston Hero to strike out every time he comes into pinch hit, you know, I would be more comfortable relying on a Carlos Santana than a Jace Peterson, yeah, who's actually been pretty decent at times. But I mean, a guy that, you know, Nelson Cruz was a guy that was being mentioned like, hey, could the Brewers go and get Nelson Cruz and bring him back? Carlos Santana's in the same boat as far as, you know, a hitting caliber is concerned. And Santana's name just started floating around the trade speculations when I was looking on Twitter earlier. I was like, his name just started floating there, man. I mean, that could be a guy that the Brewers can just sneak in and grab him real quick, and all of a sudden they just add another power bat to the lineup. Yeah. All right. So my second guy, um, probably take a little more to get him, but um, I would absolutely love to have this guy on the Brewers, and that's Trey Mancini. Okay. Uh, another first baseman from Baltimore Orioles. He can hit. He can play defense, and like he's he's just got like a great story. The you know the beating cancer and being back and now being an all star. Yeah. Um, just a guy that you'd love to root for. So Trey Mancini is my number two. Okay, my number one, my number one guy, my number one overall guy, I should say, my third guy on the list is Anthony Rizzo. From the Cubs. Oh. <laughs> All um, right. up. He's a career 269 hitter, so he's a solid hitter. Nice. Um, he's hitting 248 this year, 14 home runs, and he's only two years removed from hitting nearly 300. Guy plays great defense, and honestly, he's just a good guy. I mean, we heard him when he was mic'd up talking with, you know, Freeman, Freddie Freeman from the Braves. I mean, Anthony Rizzo is just one of those guys that you can't hate because he's just a good guy. Just a good, he's a baseball player, and honestly, stealing him from the Cubs and having him come over here and win a ring would be the greatest diss to Chicago that I could just think of. So I have I have a a slash on my my third one, and that's Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryant. Um, oh, okay, <laughs> you took them both. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a reason for it. Before you give me shit. So no, Anthony Rizzo, awesome, just naturally because he plays first base, um, yeah. you know, if there was a guy that I had to pick from a Chicago team that I like, it would be Anthony Rizzo. Cause like you said, he's, he's just a likable guy. If you, you know, get him out of the Cubs uniform. Yeah. Um, the only, the only problem I have with this and I have another cub um, slashed in this and I only included the other guy because Vegas apparently seems to think that there's a four to one chance that we land him, and that's Chris Bryant. Really, okay, we, have the, we have the third highest Vegas odds to land Chris Bryant. Holy shit! Don't ask me why. I don't even know if the Brewers have called the Cubs and been like, "Hey, Chicago, what are you?" And then being hung up on by the Cubs, who aren't going to trade any other guys in division. Um, <laughs> I don't see it as terribly logical or terribly likely that the Cubs are willing to trade in division. But, you know, if the price is right, 
you know, the Cubs got to do what they got to do to get some prospects in there and, you know, start their rebuild. So Rizzo and Chris Bryant are my last one slash two. I think from what I read, I think Rizzo has a club option next year, if I remember correctly, because the Cubs, okay. had a, Cubs had to pick up a pretty expensive club option this year to bring him back. It was like $20 million or something like that. Okay. And I think I think he has another one coming next year. So, I mean, them trading – you know, Rizzo to us would really only hurt them this year. And then we could just get rid of Rizzo and go right. on the search for 900 first baseman next year again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and bring back three of them and put Keston here back at first base. <laughs> yeah, and, and then, yeah, we'll just go through the whole thing all over yeah. again. <laughs> and so, you know, to your point, I had CJ Cron written down originally and I crossed him off just because what I think is going to happen is, you know, the Brewers are going to check in on Rizzo and they'll check in on Mancini and they'll check in on Hosmer. And then, you know, none of those, you know, the, the Stearns won't, you know, the, the price won't be right for David Stearns. And then, you know, he'll flip a, a double A prospect for CJ Cron. This yeah. is where I'm feeling that this is going to go, that he's going to check in on all these guys, that, you know, these high profile guys, the price is going to be too high. And then he's going to be like, hey, Colorado, what do you need for CJ Cron? And they're going to grab him. Yep. I, you know, I'd be okay with it. It would be a, you know, a serviceable upgrade, you know, a high, a high reward, low risk type trade. But, you know, it just wouldn't be sexy like grabbing, you know, an Anthony Rizzo or even a Trey Mancini. So Anthony Rizzo would be a massive splash to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, that would be. Yeah, that would be a big deal. But, um, you know, the the main thing, the main takeaway there is that the Cubs are sellers and uh, they'll be in the basement with the Pirates in the division. I wanted to bring up one more thing. Hang on. I got to go back to my, uh, my brewers here. Okay, so. Since we like to bring up run differential in baseball talk, <laughs> the Cubs' uh, run differential is negative 23, and the Brewers is positive 74 right now. That kind of flipped, didn't it? Right and during that have, series. We don't even have prime Yelich right now. Wait till he comes back. because no, he's coming. We, have, we, have, we have high walkout, high strikeout Yelich right now. Yeah, Yelich is coming back. And when he comes back, we are about to be a problem. That's all I know, buddy. I think we might I be going for uh, two titles in the four one four this year, maybe. How about hey? How about this? How about three in Wisconsin? We'll get there. If the honestly, <laughs> if, the, if the Packers win the title, like if the Brewers and Packers win the title, I might just quit my job because I'll just be like, I don't know what's going to happen. We're probably going to get hit with some asteroids. I don't know what's going to happen right now. It would that would just be insane. Dude. We just have to like become you know professional streakers or something. <laughs> I don't know about that, buddy. <laughs> just we'll just do the Forrest Gump thing naked, and we'll just be you know Packers, Bucks, and the Brewers all won championships. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's I don't know why that's where my brain went, but <laughs> hey, right. uh, just, it would just it would be crazy. But the the potential for it all is there. It's not. You know, it's not something where you'd put a dollar down on it in Vegas and you'd take home a million if it happened. Like it's it's plausible that it could happen. Yeah. You know, we talk about the show and we talk about ourselves and we describe ourselves as cautiously optimistic. That's one of those things where it's you know, it's not like you know, the Brewers are gonna win the World Series and then the Packers are gonna win the Super Bowl and that's what's gonna happen. That's not how we approach it. You know, we take it as that could happen. Yeah, these are what these are what need to happen to make that the reality so 
I'm going to close out the show with closing out the Bucks season, a team that did make the what could happen a reality and brought it into a championship. First one in 50 years. Last week, we spent the whole episode talking about it, talking about the NBA and how the Bucks were able to bring this together. And, you know, one of the things that you said going into the playoffs and all throughout the playoffs that really stuck with me was every time somebody complained about injuries, the two things that I replied with was one, the thing that you said, which is health is a skill. And yes. two, that the best ability is availability. Yes. It's often the case that the healthiest team is the team that goes the deepest. And the Bucks weren't even fully healthy. They were without Dante DiVincenzo after the Miami series and still put it all together to go and win a title. So we want to talk about games five and six and some of the some of the afterglow from the championship. So let's start with game five and let's talk about the Bucks. Man, um game five was <laughs> incredible, man. That honest to God. I mean, other than the Nets series, because those were some really good games. The Bucks and Nets all season long were great games. And I said before the series that Suns and Bucks were great games because they were only separated by one point in the regular season. Um, and both were Suns wins. Um, but, man, they went back and forth in this game, not in the first quarter. The first quarter, they punched us in the mouth, and we're up by 16. They, the they, Bucks, they made 10 straight shots in four minutes. Yeah, they were they were going absolutely insane. Um, and everybody in Phoenix is celebrating, and they're mocking at us at the free throw line. And, and then, you know, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton started to take over, and it got real quiet out there. Um, in the game, Devin Booker ended with 40. His – Second of back-to-back 40-point games. Um, eight and at 20 and 10. Chris Paul, 21 and 11. Um, they combined. Now, this is going to be a trend for me. They combined for 81 points, 16 rebounds, 15 assists. It's pretty solid for a big three, right? Yeah, that'll do. Um, It don't matter when you go against this big three in this game. Because Giannis had 32, 9 and 6. Chris Middleton, 29, 7 and 5. Bunch of jump shots. Drew Holiday, 27, 4, and 13. Again, a bunch of jump shots. You know, he did one thing. I mean, let me get to my point real quick. They combined for 88 points, 20 rebounds, 24 assists. The Bucs as a team had 37 rebounds. They had 20 of the 37 rebounds. The Bucs had a team at 26 assists. The, our big three had 24 of the 26 assists. <laughs> That's insane. That You know what that says to me? That's Budenholzer saying, hey, you three are my best players. You three touch the ball. That's it. Put it you're, mean, you're putting the ball in the hands of your best player. And, you know, when we get to game six, I'll make a point about that because I have something ready for that, you know, to your point. Um, but, I mean, the, the Suns didn't turn the ball over a lot. They had eight turnovers. They shot the ball well. They shot 55%. The Bucs just shot 57%. You know, and during the game, the entire time, they were talking about how there was great defense, but just better offense, which is to your point, which you talked about during Packers season last year, you said offense always beats defense. And it does. Sometimes you can play perfect, and it does not matter. It doesn't matter. Like with Devin Booker, like sometimes it just doesn't matter. You can play 23 and a half seconds of good defense and still get scored on. And Packers have to do that a lot in series. Yeah. Devin Booker just made shots, man. When he does those little turnarounds and he double clutches and he's fading and yeah, the, the mid-range fadeaway. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing you can do about that. But the play of the century 
is what won the Bucks this game and I think the title was when so, yeah. he drove up PJ. Giannis comes in doubles. He turns from the double team, which you're supposed to do. You're taught to turn from the double team. And Drew Holiday, who played absolutely amazing defense this entire series, comes over and rips the ball away from Devin Booker. And I shit you not, I have watched that play about 300 times. My girlfriend, I'll be laying in bed, right? We'll be going to bed. I'll, I'll be like, all right, I have to listen to it one more time. I will, <laughs> to this day, to, I mean, last night, I even did it last night. I play the play and I'm like, and son's at the foul and he goes, throw it down by Adetokounmpo. I will never forget that feeling of watching the Bucks do that play and win game five to take a 3-2 lead. I, so I remember during that play, I'm thinking, you know, Booker's driving. I'm like, well, I'm like don't follow, don't follow, don't follow. And I'm like, oh, he stripped it. And then, yeah, they go down and they get the alley-oop. And that was – it was a ceiling thing. And, it like, it, I agree with you. I think it locked down the title because I felt very strongly that the Bucks coming home for an elimination game in Milwaukee yeah. with how nuts that crowd was going to be, I was, I think I said, 95% sure that the Bucks were going to win that game, that they weren't going to lose at home. You know, I say I 95% just right. because, like I said, I describe our, our you know, our show is cautiously optimistic. You know, anything can happen. But I was very confident in the Bucks winning at home in a potential finals clinching game. Um, there was nothing cautious about me game six. I said, <laughs> bro, 100%. There's no way in hell they lose at home right now. There's no way in hell. There was no way. I did not believe it. I could not think of a scenario, you know, like Doctor Strange in the Marvel movies. I couldn't cook up a scenario where the Bucks lose out of a billion chances. I was like, there's no way. No. Giannis is saying so you, you brought up the collective of the big three. I have it written down next to all their stats that it was the best collective big three game. Oh, and right. I think that that's true for the playoffs and the regular season. I really think, oh, that just, you know, all three of them, just filling up the stat sheet. Um, you know, you mentioned the the 32, 9, and 6 by Giannis. I also have written down zero turnovers. Yep. That's a big deal. And that's something I'm going to mention when uh, when he's asked about uh, how he felt he played in the finals, one of the things that he said. Um, I'm going to come back to that. But um, so we well, talked you, about you Devin say, Booker. I think I know what you're going to say. Nah, you might. Uh, so the, like I said, like I have said, great offense beats great defense every time. That's just how it goes. So the Bucks played pretty good defense on Devin Booker. He just hits tough shots and he scores by volume. That's how he is. Um, another play that I want to bring up with Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday, he's masterful at letting a guy dribble into his body and then just using his hand to poke the ball away. He is absolutely masterful at it. He's so damn good at letting a guy just dribble up into his body and then using his left hand, which, like, I don't know if he's left-handed or right-handed or if he's both, but, like, he's really, really good with that left hand. So Devin Booker drives into the body of Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday pokes it away, like, right at half court, and the Suns have two guys back while Drew Holiday's bringing the ball up. Drew Holiday gets to, like, the elbow, realizes he doesn't have numbers, Takes two steps back, looks down at the floor to lull Devin Booker to sleep, pulls up a three, and I'm like, as soon as I saw him start stepping back, I knew he was pulling and hitting that three because oh, he lulled Booker crazy. to sleep, took two steps back, shot the three, dropped it. 
That was so dirty. He stole it from him, then hit the three in his face. He did. Like, freaking yep. goal. Just lulled him to sleep and then just drained the three on him. Um, this was probably Pat Connaughton's best game in the playoffs. He had 14 points and six rebounds, played good defense, and he was getting targeted almost every single time. Yep. And he still played pretty solid defense on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. He got some fouls. He, you know, he gets scored on sometimes, but he played some pretty solid defense. And he he doesn't get credit for that. Honestly, he doesn't. And he doesn't really get credit for being a good shooter either. And, you know, he's he's had situations where he's gotten some foul calls on Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Game five, zero fouls. 14 points, six rebounds, and zero fouls from Pat Connaughton in a 2-2 tied finals game. On the road, bro. People thought he was getting overpaid because he's making $5 million. $5 million is chump change, bro. We got LeBron out here making 40. <laughs> and And the thing with Pat Connaughton is, is he was playing really tough defense on Booker. Booker airballed two shots at the end of the third quarter. Not one, two. Airball. Pat Connaughton playing defense on him. Hey. We wore we wore so, Booker down. That's all I'm gonna say. And Booker, Booker got wore down. And playoff Pat four for six on threes, tied for second on the team, and plus minus at plus ten. So being targeted by Chris Paul and Devin Booker, both really good mid range scorers and just solid scorers in general, to finish yep. plus ten. That's I give Pat Connaughton huge props, huge props for Pat Connaughton, and. So we talked about after game three, I went on a rant about Monty Williams complaining about Giannis shooting a bunch of free throws. And then Chris Paul, after game five, comes out and says, we're following Giannis. We expect him to miss. He expects himself to miss. Contradicting exactly what his head coach just said like four days before that. Oh, the coach is saying, you know, we're not trying to follow him and we're not trying to give him 17 free throws a game. And then you're, you know, Chris Paul, who's arguably one of the smartest players in basketball, you're going to think that he's not on the same page with his head coach while they're in the finals about following Giannis and expecting him to miss free throws? <laughs> that goes perfectly hand-in-hand hand with what I said about Monty Williams, that you're not mad that he got those free throws. You're mad that he made them. 100%. Because your point guard contradicted what you were complaining about. So... Get out of here with that. You're not mad that he got him. You're mad that he made him. And that was your strategy was to force Giannis to miss free throws, which he did not do in game six. So let's move on to game six. I'll let you start. And then um, and then we'll talk about some of the after stuff. Game six, man. Wow. Um, for all the good shooting that the Bucks had and the Suns had in game five, they did not have it in game six. Especially in the uh, first quarter. Yeah, both teams came out tight. I mean, the Bucs were feeling the pressure because they had a chance to win the title at home. The Suns are feeling the pressure because they're young and they know they have to have this one. It's an elimination game. And, you know, my my saying about Book got wore down really showed in game six. That's why I said that. Um, he was 8-22 at 19 points. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had great back-to-back 40-point games. Nothing against Book. Um, but he got wore down 0-7 for 7 from 3. Uh, Chris Paul had 26, 11 of 19. Chris Paul played pretty well. Um, but DeAndre Ayton was really the reason that they lost. First of all, he was short-arming everything. 
couldn't score. And he was not stopping Giannis. On you know, on that point about DeAndre Ayton, when you finish it, I want to say something. But go ahead. Um, Giannis was a man amongst boys. He was literally a grown man playing with kids <clears throat> in game six. Uh, I mean, Chris Middleton had a pretty solid game, 17-5-5, 6-13. But Drew Holiday, I mean, he still rebounded the ball, played amazing defense, but his scoring was – not there really, honestly. I mean, he had a couple key buckets, some layups, a couple jumpers, but I mean, he made four total field goals and two of them were threes. So, I mean, that's pretty good. If you're going to make shots, yeah. make them threes at least, get an extra point. Yep. Um, but going into, you know, I mean, we had six threes. The Bucks had six threes as a team. In game five, we had six threes between Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday alone. <laughs> so, uh, one thing I really wanted to point out that I really, really liked is they destroyed the boards. The Bucks had 53 rebounds to 37. So I thought that was really, really key. I mean, but really, game six was just the Giannis show. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, that Bobby Portis was the only player to score off the bench with uh, 16. He had 10 in the first quarter. I know. He was balling, dude. Me and my dad were texting during the game, and we – we were talking about how Giannis was, you know, doing this and doing this, and we still need, needed one guy to get hot. And my dad was like, "Maybe Portis off the bench," and I was like, "Could be Portis. He's been, you know, Chris Middleton was playing all right, but he's really been the only other reliable player. I mean, uh-huh. Drew did a really, really nice play where he dribbled with his left hand and passed it to Brook Lopez, and I haven't seen Brook Lopez dunk like that in like six years, dude. <laughs> he <laughs> rose up and he started screaming. That was a loud dunk. Dude, he got high for that too. He, like, dog, everybody talks about how he can't jump, bro. Get him some adrenaline. That big boy will jump. <laughs> and he held that. He held it way up there. He didn't go at it like this. He was Statue of Liberty, all the way up, all the way down. And that was I part like of the. Andre. I like the Andre yeah, player on DeAndre Ayton. Um, I like DeAndre Ayton, but dude, he they went at him. They were pretty much like, listen, young buck. We are hey, I'll I'll get I'll get to that point. I'm gonna let Tyler talk first, but I'm gonna get to that. But uh man, when they went right at DeAndre. Yeah, Giannis and Brooke, they were just like, listen, kid, it's our time now. And so I'm gonna let you go before I talk about the middies, bro. So handful of things. A that that Brooke dunk kicked off a mini run by Brooke Lopez. He scored six straight points, took us from down one to up five. Yep. That was something that stood out. Um, when we get to the end of this game, I want to talk about the officiating. I hate doing it, but it I feel that it needs to be addressed. Um, so game five, they went from their highest scoring quarter by scoring 43 in the second quarter to their lowest scoring quarter in the first quarter. Um, or in the second quarter, I mean, only 13 points. They started one for nine. Um, that was the one quarter where Giannis was not hitting everything. Um, he was settling for a lot of jumpers even early in the shot clock. Um, I was a little discouraged by it, but that second quarter was just awful all around. Um, you know, you talked about the slow start for both teams. Um, you know, I wrote down that it was jitters. It was way too many turnovers at the beginning of that game. I've hammered on it the entire playoffs. You just can't turn the ball over in the playoffs. You can't do it. Kills you. And the Bucks did it a lot in the first quarter. 
a little bit less in the second quarter, but they couldn't make any shots in the second quarter then. But they were able to get themselves into a position where they were only down five at halftime. Um, I don't know if I should talk about it now or after, but I'm just going to bring it up now. I give Budenholzer a huge scoop of credit for the adjustments that he made from games one and two to the rest of the series. And that is what my key was going into games four, five, and six was taking DeAndre Ayton out of the game because he is their offensive and defensive anchor by being their pick and roll man and also by being their their man in the middle on defense. So you brought it up that Giannis went at eight. And what they did was they took Broke Lopez off of him on defense and put Giannis on him. So Giannis can roam around and do his, you know, block, getting blocks off the backboard, which Giannis was the first player ever to drop 50 points, um, 10 rebounds, and five blocks in a finals game. Dude, first ever. On. One of one. So there's that. And so, you know, he's guarding Aiton, who's hanging in the paint, lets Giannis, you know, be the weak side guy to just get blocks. And then the Bucks were actually rotating to Aiton pretty well. They had one play where they got, you know, uh, miscommunication and Aiton got a dunk and, and Pat Connaughton, I think, followed him for an and one. Um, but other than that, like even Bobby Portis, who we've talked about not being a great defender, was doing some good um, help side rotating on defense. Um, something that jumped out to me, which is kind of weird, um, did you notice that the lineup at the end of the first quarter was huge? They had, <laughs> they had eight no. or not. Uh, yeah, that's definitely yeah. Aiden's confidence. That's that's something yeah. that being a twenty-two year old in a in a high pressure situational duty. Yeah, for the three at the end of the first. Um, Giannis, Bobby Portis, and Brooke Lopez all on the floor at the same time. Yeah, that is humongous. That's huge. <laughs> and the Chris Bucks have a advantage, and then they're like, "Hey, look at it all at once." Yeah. Can you see anything? Can you see anything? And just just a massive lineup at the end of the first quarter. Um, like I said, I'll hold off talking about the officiating until we get to the end of the game. But um, the one thing I want to give another credit to Budenholzer is the Bucks have been pretty good coming out of halftime and being aggressive in the third quarter of games. And that was absolutely mm-hmm. the case in this game. And that third quarter is obviously what swung the game from, you know, maybe the Suns can win to, no, the Bucks are finishing this out. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get back to Giannis hitting middies. Um, I was telling people all year that Giannis is working on a little turnaround. You know, we're post-fade. You know, we're in games against Memphis and we're in games against, you know, Golden States and stuff like that. And we were really just feeling stuff out, man. We're feeling lineups. Giannis was just working on stuff like, they really just use the regular season as a long preseason to work on stuff <laughs> because they knew they we talked the about it. We talked about that. And yeah. Dylan, I wish you would have been with us, you know, after the all-star break and, you know, we're talking about, you know, the win loss record isn't as important as the context of the games. Yeah. Um, but how does a guy with no skill score 50 in the finals? I just want to know. I mean, I don't know. You could ask James Harden if he's ever played a finals game. No, he's just he's just over in France getting high with with little baby. And don't tell me he wasn't doing drugs. Look at his eyeballs. That dude is high as hell, man. He is just going crazy. I don't over there, understand man. how you can look at Giannis and think that he doesn't have any skill. How many six eleven dudes you see with that can you know handle the ball at all? 
like okay. KD can, but he's top three in the league. You want to know a thing that really, really bothers me about basketball? I've really wanted to say this for the longest time. When people talk about skill, they talk about just offense, dribbling the ball and shooting the ball. They do not consider defense. Because when people talk about defense, they just say, oh, he's, he's a really good two-way player. I'm about to get angry. <laughs> okay. Me too. Okay. I'm trying to hold all on. Right. To make so so but, since the season's end, oh, all right. Buckle Giannis, up, everybody. Here we go. Thought I was going on a rant. Okay, hang on. One second. Giannis is the best or the second best two-way player in the league behind Kawhi Leonard when healthy. That is just my opinion. Defense is a skill. Defense still wins championships. Look at the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. Look at the Bucs in the finals this year. Excuse me. The baseball will probably be a team that is really, really good pitching and really, really good defense. <clears throat> you know what? If they don't score, you can't lose. And that's just the name of the game. And now time right. for Tyler's rant. Stop putting James Harden ahead of Giannis in anything. I don't give a damn if it's when he's healthy, he's better. No, I don't give a damn if it's, oh, who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Giannis is already more accomplished than James Harden is. He's better than James Harden is, and he's had a better career already. The only reason that he doesn't have as many All-NBA appearances is because he hasn't been an All-NBA player as long because he's he didn't come in as a proven prospect. So stop putting James Harden ahead of him for active players or – you know, Hall of Fame resumes. He's already more accomplished than James Harden. I had somebody tell me that he wasn't because he only had one more MVP. While conveniently leaving out the fact that he's got a ring, a most improved, a defensive player of the year, and I believe three All-NBA defense. <laughs> he is... Stop putting James Harden ahead of Giannis. He's not better than him. And James Harden's in for a rude awakening this coming season when those rules change. That's the honestly, if you ask me, that rule that's coming about jump shooters not being able to move in unnatural movements and motions and uh, not being able to kick their legs in an unnatural way, or you know, the Chris Paul thing where he's got somebody right behind him and he just stops dribbling so that he gets run into, that's not going to be that's not going to be a defensive foul anymore. That rule to me, that was made for James Harden. Because nobody wants, nobody is impressed by you scoring 35 points a game while you're shooting 20 for 21 at the free throw line. Nobody gives a shit that you're scoring more than half of your points off of pump faking and then jumping sideways into a guy. To be completely honest, Tim, I'm going to go to Tim's comment real quick. Do it. The Nets, the Nets might be in trouble because Kyrie just had another mental health explosion today. And me and Tyler are very big on mental health, but Kyrie needs to step away from basketball for a little bit, man. He does not handle this media pressure stuff very good. He is not. He went to New York. Bad call. Yeah, he's not a PR guy. Um, So he just had a whole thing about his Nike shoes being released, blah, blah, blah. Go look that up. KD's over here playing with Team USA and losing to freaking France (laughs) and freaking Evan Fournier. He's yeah. like the 95th best player in the league. And then, you know, he he's, you know, he's aging, so he wants to ring chase. You know that for a fact. And KD's very good. I got nothing bad to say about KD. Um, but then James Harden's over here, you know, showing up overweight, getting high and getting high, hanging out with rappers. I have said this about Tyler Hero, and I'm going to say it about James Harden. 
they are celebrities, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But when we're talking about basketball, I'm on a goddamn basketball player, and that is exactly what Giannis is. Giannis is a basketball player. He is a leader, and he is going to go on that court of 94 feet, and he is going to punish you. So if I'm going to pay a guy max dollars, I want a basketball player. I don't need a celebrity. You know, I saw a thing about people trying to trade for Tyler Hero, bring him back home. You leave Tyler Hero's ass down in Miami, okay? He's busy with them strippers and, and Jack Harlow. No, Give me Dante. Give me Dante. Shit here, man. I want basketball players. I want to win. I only get to watch these guys for 10, 15 years. You know, I want to tell stories about how, how much fun it was watching them be together and be a basketball team. I don't need celebrities, bro. You could be a celebrity after. So the way that you're talking about this stuff is what I was trying to convey last week and the week before when I'm saying like, hey, like, you know, we are living in the now, but like appreciate how this is going to go down in history. Yeah, man. So that being said, I, I wrote an article about it because I was so impressed about the way that Giannis talks all the time. He's... He's just so outwardly like humble, but also, you know, he knows, you know, what he's done, but he's put the work in to get to that point. So you can't, you know, you can't say that he has no skill and then, you know, look at what he's done and say, yeah, that guy doesn't have any skill. But then also like the first thing that he, that he says after they win the title, as he talks about Chris Middleton, the first thing he does the first thing he does after they, they clinch the games, he goes and he hugs his girlfriend who is pregnant with their second child. And his mom and his brother. And his mom. Did you see the hat that his mom was wearing? Yep, the draft hat. His Yeah, his mom was wearing the, the NBA draft hat from 2013. Man, I, I, I cover your kids' ears. I fucking love Giannis, dude. <laughs> if, I mean, we deserve Giannis. I really feel that way. Every every city deserves a Giannis. He is honestly on top of being, you know, just a straight up killer. And he's awesome, mean mugging and dunking on people and flexing and all his 1,075 million muscles show up in his arm. Dude, his shoulder muscles are insane. He's just, he's just a good guy, man. He's got a great heart. And you can just tell that he, he wears that sucker on his sleeves. And I, I mean, I love that guy, man. Uh, you guys see what... Yeah, man, he, he's scoring. He's a bucket, man. And Tyler and I have talked about in the war, man. Uh, we've talked about him improving defense and learning angles and becoming a better rebounder, and he's got a spot in this rotation next year. He does. He absolutely does. He can take Bryn Forbes' place as far as I'm concerned. Tim, to your point, kind of goes with what Dylan said about DeAndre Ayton's confidence. That's why we talked about this a whole bunch of times about why Jordan Wara is not going to see playing time in these playoffs, even when the you know the Bucks were struggling shooting, and you know people are like Jordan Wara is a shooter, put him in, like pump the brakes. He's a rookie. You don't want to put him into that situation where he's got all that pressure just to have him crumble. Give him time, let him acclimate, and now you know he's showing off a little bit of swag. You know he's like, hey, I'm a champion. Watch hey. me drop thirty three on you. He he got he got that championship experience. He scored in the finals technically. So yep. I mean, get him in those game situations next year in the in the regular season, you know, when we're working through things and mm-hmm. figuring out our rotations. And yeah, man, we could we could really figure this out. I, I don't think the Bucs are done. The Bucs are set up. 
you know, having the big three signed, the Bucks are set up to compete for a while, man. And, you know, if, if what I think about the Nets is true, you hear the latest on Ben Simmons. They're asking for a hardened type trade package for Ben Simmons. Apparently, he's not answering Philadelphia's phone calls. He doesn't <laughs> want to talk to them. Because the what first call that he gets from them is probably going to be that he's getting traded. They've been trying to call him to, like, bring him in and, like, talk to him and, you know, see how he feels about the situation. If he wants to be traded, all that stuff. He hasn't answered. That man is gone. And he's honestly that that you know takes immaturity. Honestly, is what I what I take from that. But and, yeah, well, he's young. I have an idea. There is going to be a three team trade. It is going to involve Philly. It is going to involve Portland, and it is going to involve Golden State. Hmm. Do it. You, you might as well throw it out there. You might as well throw it out there. I think Ben Simmons is going to the Blazers. The Blazers are going to go into a little mini rebuild. They get a superstar to replace their superstar so they can still keep their faithful happy. I think that uh, Philly ends up with a bunch of draft picks. You know, they end up with the draft pick tomorrow night. I think that's what's going to happen. And I think Golden State ends up with Damian Lillard. Hmm. Golden State's going to be aggressive. We'll see, yeah, we'll see what happens. Philly's Philly's trading Ben Simmons. That's that's going to happen. Um, Philly, Philly with Ben Simmons doesn't concern me as a threat to the Bucks. Honestly, Brooklyn, like they have three very good players. Kyrie Irving is not top fifteen, and James Harden is not top ten. So that goes along with what I said about Giannis. Like, stop putting James Harden in front of him. James Harden's not a top ten player going forward. With the new rule, I have a hard time putting James Harden top 15, to be completely freaking honest with you. I, I'd have him somewhere in that 12 area. But that being said, you have so much money tied up in those three of Kyrie, KD, and James Harden that you have no cap space to sign anybody else. They literally brought, brought in Blake Griffin because Detroit didn't want him there sucking up all their money anymore. So, you know... Hey. The Nets were able to grab him for the veteran minimum for the rest of the season. And he ended up being one of their biggest contributors outside of their big three. Staying on the Nets, Jeff Green and the Bucks have some mutual interest, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he could, you know, he could be filling in that Bobby Portis role potentially next year. So Uncle um, Jeff, baby, come to come yeah. to mill. Come and knock some threes down for us. Stop going six for seven against the Bucks. Don't do that. Yeah, man. What the hell? <laughs> um as far as the rest of the East is concerned. I don't feel that Atlanta is going to be a, a continuous threat. They're going to be a continuous playoff team, but they do not have enough defense or you know physicality to hang with the Bucks. They don't. No, they don't have no pinch, dude. They, they have nothing. So I I really believe that the East is the Bucks for the taking as far as the near future is concerned, unless something drastic happens. Well, the Raptors just became sellers immediately after they won their championship because Siakam's on the block. Yeah, and Lowry's talking about leaving. So the Cavaliers are, yeah, they're Lowry's going to go over. It's going to be the Bucks in LA next year. Oh, Brewers just made a trade. Oh, who they get? Brewers got Brewers got Eduardo Escobar, infielder from the Diamondbacks. Okay, so that's infield depth. Uh, okay. Doesn't say what they gave up for him yet, but the Brewers got Eduardo Escobar. Look at that. Anyway. We're, li- we're reporting stuff live. Now. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so that's that. Um, you have anything else about Game Six at all that you want to share before we talk about just some of the after stuff? Um, nah, man. It was 
just the honest show, man. I should I should go get my championship hat. I went to the mall in Appleton and bought myself a championship hat. I ordered uh, ordered a couple T-shirts online because I couldn't wait to go to the mall. And then I got some pretty sick-looking shorts coming my way, too. They're the old purple shorts, like the old purple jerseys, except they yep. said the Bucks on the front. Nice. It looks, they look dope, man. I'm pretty excited. All right. So really quick before we move on, I, I told you I wanted to talk about the officiating because, it, like I, I said this in the past, that I don't think that officiating makes things rigged but i do feel that things can be persuaded and i feel that in this game the official you know the officials made a lot of calls that they didn't need to make but they decided to be like hey like look at me i'm here in the finals too you know i can blow my whistle and it was oh my god it was a bunch of things so one devin booker driving on bobby portis devin booker creates all the contact and Bobby Portis gets called for a foul. A, whatever. That sucks. Uh, another one. Giannis picking up the ball and taking two steps behind half court as he's bringing the ball at the floor gets called for a travel. Like, really? Like, really? Because he took the half an extra step? Like, really? Like, technically, yeah, he did, but really? I mean, dude, they let people get away with, like, four or five steps after in, when they're going to the rim. I don't – I mean, I like, understand so- why they called it, but I also understand your point. Um, another one, DeAndre Ayton getting Chris Middleton switched onto him and, and hooking his arm like this. And Chris Middleton just trying to get his arm away from DeAndre Ayton getting called for a foul that irritated the hell out of me. Like DeAndre Ayton, you're seven feet tall and you're hooking a guy into a cheap foul. Like really? Yeah. That's um, funny. and then two basket interferences called on the bucks and one not called on the Suns. First, Jay Crowder grabs the net as Giannis's shot is bouncing on the rim. Doesn't get called basket interference. And then, you know, if this is the front of the cylinder of, you know, the rim, Brooke Lopez grabs the ball while it's right here and gets called for basket interference. Yeah. On on a play yeah. that was quite yeah. obviously a lob pass. My girlfriend is... <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last one, Jay Crowder falling down. He Bro, literally I'm just so slipped. He I'm slipped so on his own feet. He just slipped and got a follow hey, call. I have to say, though, it created a, one of the greatest gifts of all time, man. <laughs> I am going to be using that Bobby, Bobby Port. Yeah, Bobby Port is running down with jazz hands, and then he got <laughs> just high stepping. Dude, he's oh. going to the end zone. <laughs> <laughs> That was so annoying. Like he slipped. The floor was wet. He slipped, and you're giving Bobby Portis a follow for that. Like, and the 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 Booker drive on Bobby Portis. Of course, as Booker goes and does his chicken wing, Bobby Portis blocks his shot, and then he gets a follow call. Yeah, but then he came down against Giannis, and Giannis pretty much just said, "Yeah, not in my house." But Spalding right across his face. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I wanted to mention that before we moved on to you know the post game stuff, which for me. It's a lot about Giannis as far as post-game stuff is concerned. Um, I want to give credit to Pat Connaughton. Shot 15 for 34 on threes in the finals. Like, literally nobody shot well in you know for the Bucks in most of the playoffs on the three-point line, but Pat Connaughton did. And he was just about 50% in the finals, and you know he was 0 for 4 in game six. So he was exactly 50% going into game six. Um I want to give you credit 
and Mike Budenholzer for the full court pressure on Chris Paul. That was something that you were talking about going into games three, four, five, and six is that, you know, letting Chris Paul come up the floor and, you know, he, he's just dribbling with no pressure on him and he can point and tell people where to go and see where all the defense is and stuff like that. The full court pressure then, then he's got to dribble with his back to the basket and he's got to worry about the defender right up next to him instead of being able to communicate with his teammates while he's bringing the ball up the floor. So I wanted to give you credit for calling for that, and I wanted to give Budenholzer credit for putting that into action. The rest of what I have... I'm going to steal one of your lines. Sometimes I'm smart. (laughs) Um, The rest of what I have is all about Giannis. And I'm going to start with the, the good stuff before I get to the edgy stuff. And first thing that he does when he gets to his podium after the game is he puts on a Jim Paschke t-shirt. Puts on a t-shirt says, I heart Jim Paschke. Um, very happy that the Bucks were able to get a ring for him when he retired. Um, but he talked about not caring about being popular. I've said it a bunch of times that Giannis was the perfect guy to draft for a small market. Yeah, Milwaukee's a big market to him. He doesn't care about LA or New York. Um, he talked about when he was younger about, you know, speaking up around his teammates and Chris Milton encouraging him and saying, Hey, like, we'd rather have you say something that's, you know, kind of hard for us to understand than to have you say nothing at all. So Chris Middleton really played a big part in Giannis's development by making him more comfortable and by being a good teammate. We have to give credit to kid for that too. So I, I agree stories about him forcing Middleton and Giannis to talk at practice. Nobody else was allowed to say anything but those two. Hmm. I remember hearing about that. Do you remember that? And then the last guy that I want to give credit to is PJ Tucker. When he came, he was a he's a veteran locker room presence, and he's telling Giannis to speak up. He's telling Giannis to talk to him. And you know, you've talked about it too, about Giannis really emerging as a leader this year. Yes. And he's really becoming, you know, he's only 26, but he's becoming, you know, the veteran in the locker room. He's only 26, but he's been around the league for eight years already. I know, man. So, you know, and he talked about the mentality of, you know, starting down to nothing and how, you know, that can be a tough spot to be in. And with his, you know, the quote that he had about staying in the now and not about in the past because that's your ego and in the future because that's, you know, pride. But being in the in the now and saying, you know, they won 2-0. They won two games in a row. Why can't we? And that was the mentality that the Bucks had, you know, going into games three and four, playing at home. So that's the emotional maturity that Giannis had. It was just really on full display after the championship and, you know, the days following. Even in the Chick-fil-A thing, which was hilarious and really funny that he had to go and he's like, I stole the trophies and I got to go take them back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but then the the last thing that he that I have about Giannis was when he's asked about you know how he felt he played in the finals, and he says, "Motherfuckers didn't know I could pass." Man, they should. <laughs> oh, he's not skilled. He's running dunk, man. I'm so sick of that, bro. I hope he killed all that, dude. I really do. <sighs> we we talked about it. That Giannis actually has pretty good court vision. And that's why, you know, when we talked about game five and we talk about him having six assists, that he had no turnovers. It's not like he's throwing the ball, you know, just just to try to not have the ball in his hands. 
And that is something that I give Budenholzer credit for is the system that he's implemented is that so Giannis can know where people are. Brooke Lopez did it a couple of times where he tried to pass the ball to the ref because he was looking to the corner and nobody was there. But Giannis, he knows where everybody is because of the system that's around him. And that has allowed Giannis to flourish. So that being said, I want to close out my analysis as far as the Bucks are concerned for this season with saying that Giannis is the absolute perfect star for Milwaukee on the court, off the court, every aspect. I agree, man. I want... I got nothing, uh, nothing to say against you. I 100% agree with you. Um, I hope Giannis stay is a buck for life. I really do. Um, it would be a damn shame if he left us at the end of his career. Um, at this point, how I feel about Giannis is he's probably my second favorite athlete in the state of Wisconsin. It's really hard for me to pick somebody over Aaron Rodgers because I really love Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers has been here for a long, long time, double the time that Giannis has. And I do love football a little bit more than basketball, but I sure love basketball a lot. But it's very tough for me to pick somebody over Rodgers. But Giannis, he's he's doing it, man. He's he's just a good guy. That I mean, first and foremost, as a person, Giannis is definitely my favorite over Rodgers as a person. Yeah. It's his personality. He's goofy. He's just a seven foot tall kid, really. And it's just crazy how goofy he is. You know, the, the whole blow job bell and. <laughs> remember that bro i, mean, I forgot you know, about that dude <laughs> no he, he said i'm a freak on the cut and a freak in the sheets <laughs> he's just the way that he carries himself as a person man is you know something that i'm okay with you know my stepson looking up to i mean the way that Giannis carries himself yeah. he's a professional Absolutely. on the court off the court you could be yourself you could be goofy man do what you gotta do but you don't have to be rude and you don't have to hang out with all these million dollar people or you don't have to go to strip clubs and you don't have to do all that stuff, man. You can just, you know, be about your family. And I like that. So he's setting a good example for the kids and he's really showing how to dominate the game in a different way. He's a hybrid Shaq. I mean, everybody compares him to Shaq, but he's a hybrid Shaq. He's a new age Shaq. He could dribble the ball. He could pass the ball. And now he's adding a little bit of mid range in there, man. Giannis is going to end up being a player that we've never seen before. He really is at this point. I think he might already be. Yeah, um, just because he's ba- like you said, he's basically Shaq in the paint, but then he can dribble and pass, and now yeah. he's hitting you know post fades. You can so, use him in the pick and roll as a ball handler, as the screener. He can, and if he starts picking and popping, dude, if it, it's a fuck, it's fucking over. It's it is over. Everybody else go home, plan your vacations because if Giannis is doing all three of those things, I don't know how the hell you stop the Bucks. I really don't. But we will wait to see what he does. Hopefully he just continues to have that success from the free throw line that he had in game six, 17 and 19. Um, So we'll go from there. But Giannis, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, man, I know you might never see this video, but if somehow you see this, I want to say thank you very much for all the memories that you've given me this playoff run. And, you know, we're, we're at a situation where, like I said, he's 26. He's going to be here for at least another five years. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the Bucks can find a way to to go on a run and win a couple more championships, we could be in a situation where Giannis goes down as the best Wisconsin athlete of all time. Yeah, it's very possible, and it's not outside the you know the realm of imagination to think that that could happen. 
So enjoy now because it's it's history in the making. Well, enjoy now just because you only have one life to live, you know? I mean, I'm going to go back to being a life philosopher, but everybody stop looking into the future, man. Your life isn't that bad, bro. You go to work, you enjoy your family, you plan stuff with your family, you just enjoy your people you love. I mean, there's a lot, Have of, some there's fun. a lot of theories out there. So, Have some fun. That's what Jake and I are doing with the show. We're having fun. Yeah, and I'm going to go upstairs and I get a snuggle a baby after this. So my life is pretty damn good, man. I got to go let some dogs out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right. Look forward to talking next week. Probably going to have mostly Brewers next week and uh, maybe we'll have some Bucks and Packers news. But uh, all yeah. right, man. I'll see you next week. Hey, I'll be seeing you in real life again pretty soon, buddy. Yep. Next week. Don't forget Friday instead of Wednesday next week. And then a week after that is Tyler's birthday. So everybody put that date on your calendar and say happy birthday to my boy. All right. Take care, man. See you next week. Later, buddy. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.